past week, we saw one of the most contentious election cycles come to what many would consider a surprising result, a result that has left uh, some feeling empowered and has left others feeling marginalized or degraded and some even fearful. And I stand before you today to remind all of us that as believers, we are called to be people of God's kingdom, people of God's kingdom first. And as his people, we do not condone hate or violence or fear or injustice. We do not endorse those things. Instead, we remain true to our calling of being kingdom people, of helping people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, of the two greatest commandments, loving God and loving other people. We seek to extend grace and truth. We have the responsibility to do that, to be kingdom people, and we have the opportunity to tell a better story because the reality is we have a much better story to tell, the story of Jesus, the story of his amazing love for us and for all people. When we gather together, as we're doing here this morning, it takes on a great significance. And the reason it takes on significance is because of Christ. It's because of him. And it's our prayer that as we worship together today, you will see how in Christ we value families, how we pray together. We focus our efforts toward the broken and the hurting and the lost and the marginalized, how we surrender our lives to Christ, how we're obedient to him. And we will have the opportunity to witness that in a beautiful way as we watch a young man be obedient in baptism today. We are unified together because of Christ. All things are possible, and we are unified because of him, because of his body that he gave as a sacrifice for us, because of the blood that he shed for us. And when we participate in communion, and when we do that together, we are truly participating in this common union that we have in Christ. And while we acknowledge that in gatherings, in a a gathering of this size, there are people with different uh, thoughts and different viewpoints, different ideas, different plans, different dreams, we also acknowledge that as we participate in this, we participate in the same meal. We're all one. We're all on level playing field when it comes to the foot of the cross. And so as we partake of these elements this morning, as we take of the bread and as we take of the blood, let us be reminded that we are first and foremost kingdom people, We are called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to seek understanding. We're called to demonstrate faith as we join together. And that our trust and our hope, they remain in Christ and in Christ alone. And so I invite you as a body of believers that together we celebrate and we participate in communion. And I think it's appropriate today that we uh, prepare for communion by reciting the Lord's Prayer and It'll be on the screen, and and it's in the King James. It's a familiar way to say it. And so I invite you, if you are willing, to pray this prayer with me this morning. It begins with, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Amen. I invite you as a body of believers this morning to take of the bread which represents his body and let's take it as one this morning.
I also invite you together as a body of believers that we remember his sacrifice as we partake of the juice which represents his blood. Scripture tells us that as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it's an amazing opportunity that we have to do that. Um, Would you join me uh, in praying? Um, I I would ask that you bow your heads and just close your eyes and let's remove all distractions for just a moment uh, as we pray together. Heavenly Father, you provide us with the true bread from heaven. It is your Son, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. We pray that this meal would sustain us to live united in your love, the love that drew us here this morning. And Father, may it draw us together again in your name. We pray that you are glorified. We pray that people will know you. We pray that people will know you better because of the relationship we have with them. May we represent you well, Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, along with the Holy Spirit and the Father, who are one God, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, this morning, I um, have the opportunity to introduce to you uh, Ryan uh, Cagno. Uh, some of you know Ryan. He's been around for about a year and a half now. Um, and I'm not going to steal everything that he's going to say, but uh, I'm excited about what Ryan is going to be talking about this morning as he uh, opens God's Word as we continue through our series in Ephesians. And so uh, I pray that as we walk through this this morning, that uh, you would dive into the scripture and allow Christ to speak to you in a very real and vibrant way this morning. So would you welcome Ryan this morning? Thank you. I uh, can't believe they still let the intern preach around here. That's uh, irresponsible. Uh, Uh, Before we get going, I have a little housekeeping. Um, and this could get me in trouble, but we're going to do it. Um, my grandfather is here today. I won't point him out, and don't bother him after the service, because I'm already going to be in trouble enough as it is. Um, uh, in February, uh, we found out um, my grandfather, who um, is in his early 80s, he's been widowed for about eight years, he was diagnosed with esophageal and colon cancer um, all at once, and Um, it's been a tough year for our family, and we were pleased to find out, uh, last week that he is 100% cancer-free. Um, God is good. Amen. Okay. Your air traffic controlling me? I have it on the top of my... Dismiss children. Um... (laughs) If you have children uh, grade fifth grade or below, you can be dismissed to the back now, um, and they'll go to their classes. You got to trust me, Craig. (laughs) So I'm a student at Princeton Theological Seminary, and this semester I'm taking a class uh, on pastoral leadership at the seminary, um, taught by the president of the seminary, Dr. Barnes. And a few weeks ago, Dr. Barnes was telling us about his process of planning worship services. Uh, Once a year, I think sometime in the winter, 
he takes his dog, and him and his dog go up to a cabin in the woods somewhere alone for an entire week. Um, And through that whole week, he's just alone with his dog, and he thinks, and he prays, and fishes, maybe, I don't know. I guess it's winter, he doesn't fish. Um, And at the end of that week, he has an entire year's worth of sermons planned. Uh, 52 weeks of texts picked out, a theme for the sermon, um, the specific hymns that they're going to do, an entire year of services planned ahead of time in one week. And as he finished describing this process, a student asked him, what happens if there's a major event during the week? You know, as if there's a terrorist attack or or a hurricane or whatever it might be during the week, and, and your sermon is on, like, tithing, for example. What do you do? Uh, Have you ever had to adjust what you were going to preach on? And Dr. Barnes answered by saying that in a few decades of preaching, he could count on one hand the amount of times he'd changed his sermon for Sunday morning. I might actually be misremembering this. He might have said never, but a a very small amount of times over the course of decades, he's had to change his sermon. In fact, he said that the overwhelming majority of the time, It just so happened that the text which had been selected all those months prior in the cabin turned out to be the perfect text for that morning, for that week. As it turns out, the Holy Spirit can work in advance. It can work in preparation. Even in planning sermons months ahead of time, God is faithful to speak the right word to a given situation. Um, We didn't plan to go through Ephesians a year ago. (laughs) We didn't do it in a cabin. There was no dog. Um... We did plan this out in, in September sometime, and we laid out the messages. And, and as a little week or two after, we kind of realized, oh, that's fitting that that happens the week after the election. Um, and it was given to me. And, and, and all that to say, um, this is largely the sermon I was going to preach anyway. <laughs> um, prior to, to everything that happened this week and... Um, I don't know what your lives are like, but the seminary is just like, it's just like chaos abounds right now. Um, it's been a tough week for a lot of people, and, and God is good. God is good. His word still speaks to us, and it speaks to us in a timely way. Um, and I'm so just excited to share this with you this morning. Um, so if you have Bibles near you or with you or on your phone, or if you have it memorized, then turn to Ephesians chapter 1, which is where we've been. Um, I'm going to start us out in verse 17 today, starting back where Craig was, so I'll give you a second to get there. It's on the screen too. Paul is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen. Have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope. 
to which he has called you. Hope. In Colossians and Ephesians, hope occurs more often as a noun than a verb. So in this verse, it's not so much a thing that you do, but a thing that we have. And Paul's prayer is that we would know what is the hope to which we are called. What is this thing we have as believers? This hope, first, is the fact that we are called by God and belong to Christ. We are in Christ. That hope is what Paul has been talking about so far in the book of Ephesians. J.A. Robinson speaks of this hope in Ephesians 1.18 in this way. He says, It is a certain hope, for it rests on the very fact that the calling is God's calling, and no weak wish of ours for better things. I love that. Our hope is a stable, certain, concrete thing built on, as verse 19 puts it, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his great might. Paul is just like piling on the adjectives here, using all these different Greek words that are just like mighty, big, strong, awesome. Don't look at me, Greek scholar. I'm probably butchering this. Um, he, he wants us to get this impression of God's power, his great, immeasurable, mighty power. Our hope is in this all-powerful God who even as he holds all power and authority, which is, is amazing and, 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 and hard to wrap your mind around, even as he does that, nevertheless, Ephesians tells us, he has brought us in. He has loved us. He has made us part of his family. He has given us an inheritance. And this power Paul speaks so profusely of was evidenced in, according to this passage, his raising Jesus from the dead and seating him in heaven above all rule and power and authority. That's the immeasurably great power of God. It was able to defeat death, to do the impossible, to raise up Jesus and exalt him, seat him on high, make him above everything. Above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named in this age and the age to come. So what, again, is our hope? that we have been adopted into the family of God in Christ Jesus. We are sons and daughters of God. And this same Jesus has been enthroned in heaven above all other earthly rulers. Do you see what I mean about this text being strangely fitting to the circumstances this morning? You're all silent and wondering, where the heck am I going to go with this? That's all right. The witness of this text is Jesus is Lord. And our hope is rooted in his lordship. Our hope is rooted in Jesus' power. But there are times when saying Jesus is Lord can sound hollow. Sounds nice, but what, what good does really do that do us to say that? The day after the election, there were a lot of people who were pleased with the results. There were a lot of people that were optimistic and are optimistic about the changes that are going to take place as new ideas are brought up and implemented in our government and in our country. So they hear Jesus is Lord. Some of us hear Jesus is Lord. And they agree, you know, maybe because of the outcome. Jesus is Lord, and that's, you know, evidenced in the fact that we have the right leadership now. 
At the same time, there were a lot of people who were upset about the results, saying to me in person or or on Facebook, I don't want to hear Jesus is Lord right now, okay? I know that's true. I believe that. But I need time to grieve. Grieve for what could have been and grieve for what may come. And you know what? Those people, you are allowed to feel that way. And whether people agree with you or not, we as Christians owe you our understanding and we owe you our compassion. Baseline, politics aside, if you're hurting, that's what we owe you. We owe you at the very least an open ear. So if you're sitting here today and Jesus is Lord, sounds trite and it sounds hollow, I understand. And, and, and I want to say to you, what we can't do here today is we can't say Jesus is Lord or God is good as like an escape from reality. That's not what I'm trying to do. I know you're really upset right now, but you can distract yourself with the nice notion that Jesus is Lord and we can all sing Kumbaya and everything's going to be fine. I'm not telling you that. Jesus as Lord is not code for get over it. It is not a means of escaping reality, of making ourselves feel better. It is not, again, a weak wish of ours for better things. It is not a means of escaping reality. Jesus is Lord is our reality. As Christians, Jesus as Lord gives shape and definition to everything we do and everything we believe. And it is as relevant today as it was last week and as it will be next week. President-elect Trump said in his acceptance speech, Now it is time for America to bind the wounds of division, to get together. It is time for us to come together as one united people. For those who have chosen not to support me in the past, I'm reaching out to you for your guidance and your help so that we we can work together and unify our great country. President Obama gave an address Wednesday morning, and in it he said, we are not Democrats first, we are not Republicans first, we are Americans first. In that same speech, he equated elections to intramural scrimmages, Reminding his listeners that as Americans, we are all on the same team. And if that's true of Americans, shame on us if it's not also true of the church. Amen? We are all on the same team, and we, we, it is, we need to be united. Here's a reality check, maybe, for some of us. Um... There are people in this room from both sides of the political aisle. And we welcome you all. There are people here who voted for Hillary Clinton. There are people here who voted for Donald Trump. There are people here who wrote in Donald Duck. There are people who voted third party. There are people who didn't vote at all. There are all kinds here, and we are glad for that. We're glad. And how, how awesome that, that we all gathered around the same communion earlier in worship. Craig talked about it a little bit, but this, 
This demonstrates so beautifully that we are all a part of the church, and regardless of who we voted for, we are on the same team. As long as we can come around that communion, we can share in that meal, we can remember Christ's and Christ's sacrifice together. When we proclaim Jesus is Lord, we pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God first and foremost. And that kingdom cuts across political boundaries just as it cuts across all boundaries. To those of us in the room who voted for Donald Trump on Tuesday, first, congratulations on your candidate winning. Um, We just want to make it clear we respect you, we respect your vote, we respect your decision. And we hope and pray along with you that Trump is a good president. And the hopes you had when you cast your vote, we all hope and pray that, those, that our country <laughs> prospers because of this decision. And, and, and we're sorry if you have been wrongly judged or misrepresented this week. We're sorry, and, and that's not something that's going to happen within this church. And I'm going to ask you, first of all, to those of you that have voted for Donald Trump, what does Jesus is Lord, what does that mean in light of victory? What is the hope to which you are called? Is it this? No laughter at all. Okay. You know, it it irked me when they did that for Obama, and it it irketh me still, I'm going to say. Um... Yeah, there's, oh, there he is. Hey, Barack. Um, here's an uncontroversial statement. When Paul prayed that the Ephesian church might have the eyes of their hearts enlightened to know what is the hope to which you're called, the hope he had in mind when he wrote that was not, in fact, control of the Congress or the Supreme Court. It was not in any candidate, regardless of who they were or what they were promising or threatening to do. The hope Paul had in mind was just the opposite. The hope was the unquestioned rule of the Almighty God over all worldly powers, authorities, etc. So may you have the eyes of your heart enlightened. That when you look out on an America that has gone a different direction than you would have liked over the past eight years or the past several decades, when you look out over that America, may you not be tricked into investing your hope utterly in new leadership. May you have the eyes of your heart enlightened to see and trust that Jesus is Lord and not our political leaders, whoever they are. In this situation, Jesus is Lord means our primary loyalty is to the kingdom of God, not a political party. And with that, we recognize that our political parties, and this became <laughs> true more than ever this election cycle on both sides, our political parties, our political leaders are, are flawed and in need of grace and in need of prayers. Here Jesus is Lord means that we who are Christians, even as we support and pray for our president, we hold him accountable. We hold all of our elected officials accountable to talk about other people in ways that aren't derogatory, dangerous, or hurtful. 
we as Americans hold them accountable to that. We call him and all of our political leaders to the high standard of the kingdom of God in their policymaking, in the things that they say. Whether or not we supported the person, it hasn't changed in the past week that we as Christians stand on the side of justice and on equality. That is not controversial as Christians, and that is not a political statement. That is who we are and have always been. We stand on the side of justice and equality. We stand in opposition to the degradation and dehumanizing of people wherever we see that. We as Christians proclaim Jesus is Lord to the world when we stand up for others and love them unconditionally, no matter who they voted for, no matter who we voted for. You guys are loving this. I can tell. It's hard, but... To those of us in the room who did not vote for President-elect Trump, Trump, to those of you who are disappointed, and especially to those of you who are fearful, we hear you. We hear you. We as a church stand with you. And we want to do whatever we can to address the hurt that you feel. And again, I won't tell you Jesus is Lord as an escape from reality, but I will declare to you that Jesus is Lord as an alternative vision of reality which shapes this church into what it is. Last week and this week and next week and ten years from now. That is our defining reality. Regardless of what changes our culture undergoes as a nation, this church commits to being a place which loves and cares for everyone who comes through its doors and those outside its doors. It will also commit to being a place which unconditionally loves the people in the room who think and look and vote differently than them. That is who we are. And you know what else? The church of Christ in the world will continue to march forward. And that would have been true no matter who got elected. It was true before America was a nation. It will be true. I don't want to say that. It will continue to be true until Christ returns. So may you too have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you are called. And remember the riches of the inheritance we have in God who works his immeasurably great power through us, through the church, under the authority of Christ in this age and the age to come. That is the hope to which you are called, that God's power and promise sustain us and sustain the Christian church and will continue to do so regardless of who sits in the Oval Office, We proclaim Jesus as Lord. We believe that the church is the primary agent of change for our culture and our world. That has been and will always be our creed, our mission. So we dishonor this hope when we react to this election with an it's end of the world mentality. When that's our reaction, we dishonor the hope that we have. 
We dishonor this hope if we assume that because a particular person is in office or not in office, that everything is going to be better or worse. As people who prize the kingdom of God first, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord over all rule and authority and power and dominion. As people who prize the kingdom of God first, who identify first and foremost as Christians and not Republicans or Democrats or green or yellow or whatever Evan McMullen was, we remember that America is not the kingdom of God. America is not the kingdom of God. We strive for the betterment of America. We strive for the good of our country. We understand that our ultimate hope is not invested in the fate of this country. America is not the kingdom of God. And we march on and we rejoice in the confident hope in God continuing to work in and through us and even in and through our government for his greater purposes. We rejoice in the fact that the mission has not changed. A week ago, a year ago, a decade ago, we were still called to bear witness to Christ first and foremost, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and not the DNC or the GOP. And we who proclaim Jesus is Lord must also remember that there are implications to that statement. If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is our Lord, and we prize his kingdom first, then we are called to devote our lives to the advancement of that kingdom, whether or not our president is Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. That means fighting for justice, advocating for the voiceless, people who have been marginalized, discriminated against, hated, abused. That means loving our neighbors and especially our enemies. It means as a church sharing what we have that there wouldn't be needy people among us. It means baptizing and making disciples of all nations. That's our mission and it hasn't changed and it will not change. So to all of us, Pray that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Think about that phrase for a moment. The eyes of your hearts. What do our hearts see when we look out at the world? Are we flooded with despair or filled with hope? Why? Are we saddened Or are we energized by a changing America? Why? What do the eyes of your heart see? May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened to see and to recognize the subtle movement of the kingdom of God in the midst of world politics. May we see and join in the work that God has been doing and will continue to do. May we prize the kingdom first. May we pray for America and work for our fellow Americans with all of our might precisely because we prize his kingdom first. Precisely because we know we belong 
to a different country. We are here as ambassadors for Christ. Called to bear witness to him, to his immeasurably great power and the awesome hope that we have in him. Precisely because of that is why we work for the good of this country. And we pray and we advocate that our elected officials do as well. Now and in four years and in eight years. And on and on. We are going to move forward as a church together. As people who voted left, right, and middle. We will continue to gather around communion together and bear witness to each other and to the world that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And he is Lord of the world and that we prize our allegiance to that above all other things. Amen. Yeah, you have to say amen. That's, that's, that's not fair. We are going to move forward as a church together and day by day figure out what it means to fight for each other, what it means to fight for our world, to hold each other accountable, to love each other unconditionally. We live in a country that is deeply, deeply divided right now. But we don't need to be. We can and we must move forward together under the banner of Jesus, our Lord and our King. That is who we are. Next week, Craig's going to dig into this a little deeper. We're going to discuss what it means for the church to be Christ's body, the fullness of him in this earth as we continue to grapple with the implications for what Jesus is Lord means for our lives and our world. Would you pray with me? Lord, in the midst of division and tension and strife, and uncertainty, we lift you up. We lift up the cross and we rejoice. We rejoice in our calling in you, our belonging to you, our inheritance in you, our great immeasurable power in you, in Christ. Rejoice in your kingdom, which transcends all kingdoms. Which transcends and goes above worldly affairs, even as it is intimately involved. And we just pray for discernment. We pray for wisdom in how to engage with our country. Engage with our neighbor. Engage with the person sitting in the pew beside us. May we be citizens of your kingdom above all other things. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.